please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. If you don't have one, uh, the bulletin has this reprinted on the back. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 12 because we're in our third week of a series of five sermons that we're calling, O Lord. How do you worship God when life is strange or difficult or confusing or painful or you just don't know what to do next? Well, the Psalms give us a rich lexicon of vocabulary to worship God, to speak to God from the depths of our heart. And we want to search that rich storehouse of words and language. And so, oh Lord, is a phrase you see over and over in the Psalms. Two weeks ago, uh, I wasn't here, but Pastor Aria was able to bring God's word, and it is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Actually, it was the week before that I wasn't here. Then Aria preached the, no, I wasn't, I was up at Johnny and Friends. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, from Psalm 8. Uh, Last week, Rod Burney gave us the word from Psalm 142, and the phrase was, I cry to you, O Lord. The language of prayer is a language of deep honesty. Lord, I'm not faking it with you. I'm not hiding anything. I cry to you, O Lord. Well, today from Psalm 12, we're going to see the phrase, save, O Lord. What do we pray when we live in a world that we need to be saved from? What do we say to God when everything around us seems like it's just a mess? We're going to see that in Psalm 12. Let me pray first, and then we'll read Psalm 12. Save us, O Lord, today, this week, this year, from our sins and the effects of our sins. From the sins of our nation and the effects of the sins of our nation. Save us from the sins of our world and the effects of the sins of our world. We confess, Lord, that we need you to save. Thank you for the book of Psalms, which gives us rich language to use to worship you, to talk to you, to share from the depths of our heart so that you may respond from the depths of your heart. And Lord, you know exactly what our hearts need to hear from you. The sermon is from Psalm 12, but your Holy Spirit, Lord, will speak to each of our hearts, and you have promised to do for us exactly what we need you to do. So Lord, speak and help us listen. Heal, renew, correct Challenge, encourage, and build us up into the image of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Save us, O Lord, at the preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm chapter 12. Out of curiosity, is Psalm 12 anyone's favorite psalm? Anybody, 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 anybody. All right, I'm going to ask again next week when we have another psalm, if that is one of your favorites. Psalm chapter 12, let's hear the good and glorious word of our Lord. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, 
With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. That's Psalm 12. Psalm 12 is a worship song for God's people. It is a prayer as well. And the psalm is structured in three parts. Briefly, in verses 1 through 4, we read of the psalmist living in, a, in the pain of a world full of awful words. Not just, you know, curse words, but it's words that cause harm. Propaganda, lying and deceiving and slandering and mockery, living in a world like that. Look at verse 2. This is the psalmist's testimony to his neighborhood, to his community. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. So the psalmist, you can picture him alone looking up at God. God, am I the only one who cares? Am I the only one who wants you honored? Am I the only one who wants to be honest? He, he feels all alone in this world. Is that you? Is that you at work? You just feel all alone like you're the only one who cares about pure words and honesty and integrity. Is that you at school or in college or on the bus, and you feel like everybody else, the way they're joking, the way they're talking, like, am I the only one is it, who's uncomfortable with this? Is that you in your home? Is that you when you get together with family? Do you feel all alone spiritually? Do you feel like you're home, you've just traveled to another world, and you're strangers in a strange land? Okay, then Psalm 12 is just for you. The psalmist's neighbors not only mock God with their words, but they set themselves up as God. Look at verse 4. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? In other words, uh, yeah, there's no God. You foolish believers, you believe in a God, but I don't need God. No one will prevail over us. We're gods. I'm God. I'm the king of my own life. That's the first section. Well, then in verses 5 and 6, we see this beautiful, helpful, nourishing response of God. So the words of the world around are vile and, and celebrating evil, but what is the response of God? What does he do with his words? Verse 5, look at verse 5 again. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. So God will rise up. God will use his words for good and for justice. That's the middle section. And then in verses 7 and 8, we find out how the situation ends. I find this psalm so interesting because when the psalm is finished, does the psalmist go out into this brand new remade world that has no sin or no vileness or no evil? No, that is not how it ends. Look at verse 8. 
On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. So this is a worship song not to get you out of the circumstances. This is a worship psalm to get you through a life full of wickedness and evil and vileness all around you. The psalmist is looking around at his world, and all around him is evil, impurity, perversion, lying, flattery, boasting, self-righteousness, people deciding their own truth, even though everyone knows they're lying. And there's vileness. Notice that in verse 8, there's vileness. And it's not just that vileness is here and there. That's not the world the psalmist is talking about. It's being exalted. Vileness is being celebrated. Vileness is being called good. And wholeness and purity are called evil. That's the world this psalm was written to speak to. Vileness is in the air. It's the atmosphere. It's, it's not like this. The psalm 12 is not like this. Let's say you're watching a decent movie, and there's one or two notes of potty humor, right? You're watching a kid's movie, it's animated, you're having fun, and every once in a while there's some toilet humor, and you go, oh, otherwise it was a decent movie, but why did they have to have that toilet humor there? That's not the world of Psalm 12. The world of Psalm 12 is you're living in the toilet, And every once in a while, there's a breath of fresh air. Every once in a while, there's something decent. That is the world of Psalm 12. The psalmist lives in an R-rated country, in an R-rated world. Maybe you feel like that. I know it's tempting for us to feel like that. And it's not just verbally R-rated. It's morally R-rated. It's criminally R-rated right? There's injustice all around. That's why God is going to speak up with his words, because he sees neighbors being lied to, poor and needy people being taken advantage of, powerful people taking advantage of the voiceless. So that's the overarching structure. So how do we worship God? In a world like this, what should our prayers sound like? When we say, save, O Lord, how should we continue those prayers? How should we continue that prayer to God? Well, Psalm 12 offers us help. And there's a big contrast in Psalm 12 between three different things. And this will be the outline for the rest of our message. First, there's the words of man. The words of man. Second, there's the words of God. And third, there's the words of prayer. So that's our outline this morning. The words of man, the words of God, and the words of prayer. The words of man are going to tell us about the human condition. The words of God tell us about God's character And the words of prayer tell us how to worship God in a world like the one of Psalm 12 or 2022 in our world today. So let's look at them one at a time. First, the words of man. When our first parents sin, Adam and Eve were walking in sweet fellowship with God, and they used their words to glorify God. And Adam used his words to name the animals, and Adam and Eve used their words to communicate and to love and to give and receive love. They were invited into the triune community of Father, Son, and Spirit. And now Adam and Eve are invited into that community where every word was holy, every word was good, every word was nourishing, every word was beautiful, every word was encouraging. Every word was true. And then the serpent came along and said, I have an idea. He wanted to mess up our words. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and the first lying words that were ever spoken, here's what he said, not, hey, throw a rock at Adam. Hey, why don't you kick something? 
Hey, why don't you push a cow over in the field and see if it's funny? No, he's way more crafty than that. Adam and Eve would have said, I don't, I don't like that idea. Here's what the servant said. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So Satan's effort there, the serpent is trying to trick Adam and Eve to doubt that God's words are pure. God's words are holy. God's words are true. So he says, did God really say, is that exactly what he said? Why don't you, why don't you assess what God said and you use your words to decide whether or not God can be trusted. And so Eve likes what she hears. The challenge was, will you trust God's words or do you want to decide truth for yourself? Well, God's word is truth and the serpent proposed a lie. Our first parents believed the lie. And since the moment they ate the fruit, sin has ruined everything. We live in a broken world. We've seen sin. We've sinned this week. We've been sinned against this week. And so we should expect that sin has ruined our words, right? Man's words are now ruined. This is what we see in our world. And look at verses 2, 4, and 8. We see this today. Verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. So words are breaking. Verse 4. There are those who say, with our tongue, our words, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? So people are using their words to declare that they're king in the world. And verse 8, on every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Since the fall, since our first parents sinned, the world is broken. The first two brothers, what happened? One killed the other out of anger. His words could not solve, and he started to hate, and so there has been brokenness, and words are broken. We lie to our neighbors. We lie to ourselves. I looked up a common list of lies humans tell. You don't have to raise your hand if you've lied any of these this week. You know in your heart, and you'll feel that conscience. Oh, all right, here are some common lies people tell. I'm almost there. It must have gone to my spam folder. It wasn't that expensive. I'll just have one more. I try to get to the gym four times a week. Here's another one. This is delicious. <laughs> and the most common lie, what's the most common lie? Come on, you know it. I'm fine. I'm all right. I'm, I'm all right. I don't need any help. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. When we're broken inside and when we really need someone to pray for us, but we just hide it and we're, we're ashamed to share that we're a sinner too so that we can get healing from the church family. I'm fine. I'm all right. And then there's the lies we tell ourselves. I can do this on my own. I don't need any Christian friends. I don't need any other Christians in my life praying for me. I can do this on my own. That's a lie we tell ourselves. My sin really isn't that bad. How about this one? I have the right to be angry when things don't go my way. There's one. How I spend my time is my business. Here's another one. I know what the gospel says, but there's no hope for me. That's a lie some people tell. Or this big one, and I've heard this a thousand times, and I've thought it a thousand times. You know, if my circumstances were different then I would be a much better person. I would be a different person. Just change my circumstances. We lie. 
We live in a world of lies. And God hears our prayers. He hears our pleas. God, save us in a world like this. And God heard the prayer of the psalmist, Psalm 12, a world of lies. And he saw that his world was operating in verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. God hears the psalm, hears the praise, hears the worship, and sees that this is the world. Verse 8, on every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. And so God sees this world, and what does he do with his words? When God sees a world full of lies, neighbors lying to lies, uh, neighbors lying to each other, people taking advantage of each other, does God smite the whole world? Does God judge everyone? Does God write off the world and say, I'm done with all of you. You broke the world. I no longer care. That's not what God does with his word. We broke it with our words, and he intends to fix it with his word because his truth was going to walk among us to fix it. So those are the words of man. There's lying, lying to ourselves, lying to each other. The world is full of lies. That's number one. Number two, the words of God. Let's look at the words of God. The words of God tell us about his character. We lie, but God in his word tells the truth. In fact, uh, God tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help him God. He's all truth, complete truth. We live in a world of lies, but God's kingdom is lie-free. It's full of truth. And he intends to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying, God, your truth happen on earth. Your honesty happen on earth. Your integrity happen on earth. Your reliability happen on earth. But since lies have made us slaves, only the truth can set us free. And the truth is not just a list of sayings that accord with reality. The truth is a person. Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so God's antidote, when he hears people saying, save us, Lord, from this vile generation, save us from this community of liars, God's antidote to a world of lies is to send the word, his truth, his son, Jesus Christ. And he does, at great personal cost, God speaks and sends his word to the world to fix what our words have broken. Because Jesus Christ wasn't the backup plan to our sin, it was always the plan. Look now at verses 5 through 7. When does God really speak up? What activates his heart and his mouth? Verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Maybe you're the needy who's been groaning. Maybe you're the poor who's been plundered. Maybe you're the victim who's been taking advantage of. God says when you cry out, save, oh Lord, I am poor. I am needy. I am a victim. I have faced injustice. I have been lied about. I have been mocked by my neighbor. When you cry out to God with the words of prayer, Save, O Lord. What will he do? The end of verse 5, I will place him. I will place you. He will place you in the safety for which you long. So God uses his words to bring justice into a world where our words have brought injustice. There's a promise attached. Look at verse 7. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. 
So why can we worship God in an R-rated world? Because he gave us his word. His word is truth, and he will guard us from this generation. Psalm 12 is a, a psalm of David, and this psalm worked in 1000 B.C., about the time it was written. 1000 B.C., people could cry out to God and say, Save us, O God. Get us through this season of life. And God answered that prayer and got David through many trials and troubles. But it's just as useful today. If your house is the place where you're the only one who wants to honor God, and you say, Save, O Lord, God will get you through. If that's your school, God will get you through. If that's your workplace, God will get you through. If that's your neighborhood, God will get you through because he keeps his word. He will put us in the safe place where we desire to be because his words can be trusted. Because God's words are pure. Look at verse 6 now. I love this. Think about how good his words are. His words are nothing like our words. Verse 6 The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified not once, but seven times. God's words aren't just acceptable, reasonable, decent, trustworthy. They are the purest words possible. What a contrast to the vile words we're tempted to speak or the vile words we hear in our neighborhoods. They're the purest words possible. And since we live in a world of lies, and since you and I are made in the image of God, what does it mean for us to go out into this world in his image? Well, it means that we need to plead with God to make our words like his words. We want to speak truth into this world. We want to bring God's truth to bear on our communities and our workplaces and our homes so that people might be set free from the vileness of this world. So one of our prayers as we pray, save us, God, is God help us have the courage and wisdom to speak truth in the face of lies, out of love for neighbor. Because really, a world built on lies in the world of Psalm 12, nobody was happy, nobody was flourishing, nobody was loving their neighbor as themselves. Everyone was lying to their neighbor, flattering their neighbor. But it's Christ or chaos. It's love your neighbor or lie to your neighbor. And you can only choose one. Love your neighbor as yourself or lie to your neighbor and yourself. And so we plead with God to give us truth-telling lips in a world of lying lips. So those are the words of God. The words of man, lying to ourselves, lying to our neighbor. The words of God, pure, beautiful, nourishing, uplifting, honest, calling out injustice, speaking up for the voiceless. Well, finally, what are the words of prayer? Number three in our outline, the words of prayer. The words of prayer tell us how to worship in a world like ours. What are the words of prayer in an R-rated world? Look at verse two again. This is a prayer. It's also a praise song. All the psalms are prayers and songs. Verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. So how should you pray when you see wickedness and vileness and evilness? Well, Psalm 12 verse 2 tells you, specifically name the evil that you've seen. 
in your own heart or in the world around you. The psalmist says, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. So prayer sees injustice and names specific sins in his prayer life. And then he says, now God, I can't stop that. I can't end that. I can't change hearts. I can't change the world. So Lord, will you step into this situation I'm seeing? Please, Lord, save and do something about it. So prayer sees injustice and names specific sins and then asks God to step in. Look at verse 3. May the Lord, because he's the only one who can do it, cut off all flattering lips, metaphorically, right? Not with scissors or a sword, but may the Lord stop liars and deceivers and propagandists and people who bear false witness in court. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. So in our prayer life, we name the effects of sin and we ask God to save us. What could that look like? Here are some examples of what this could look like. We pray for lies to be stopped in their tracks. So we should be a people who pray about those who lie to children, teaching them the lie of secularism, the lie that they can choose their own truth, the lie that is leading to insurmountable depression and self-harm in the teenage generation. We have to speak out against that, and we have to pray that those lies would be stopped. We pray and plead with God to silence those lies. We pray for political lies to be stopped in their tracks. It's a midterm election year. Get ready for the fun in the coming months. People on both sides of the aisle propose their government solutions can solve the problem of sin in the world. Just government can solve all the problems of sin, and that's a lie. Government can't solve the problem of sin. And so we need to ask the Lord to help us remember that Christ is the Savior, even in our politics. Psalm 20 says that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So when we vote in the midterm elections, may our vote be with our heart to honor God, and then may we trust in the Lord. We pray for gospel lies to be stopped in their tracks. For the people who are in pulpits this morning telling congregations on TV and big churches that if you, if you just give more money to me and my ministry, the Lord will give you more money back. That prosperity nonsense. We want prosperity lies to be silenced in pulpits even this morning. We want gospel lies to be shut. And we pray that God would help us stop lying. Maybe a big prayer for you today and this week will be, Lord, help me stop lying to myself about whether or not I can do this world in my own strength. Help me stop lying to my spouse and covering things up. Help me stop nuancing everything. Well, I didn't really mean to, or I didn't. If the circumstances would have been different, Lord, help me stop lying to everybody. Maybe that's a prayer for your heart in response to this. Maybe you see lying in your neighborhood. We pray that God would help us stop lying. We want our words to be pure like God's words. And all of this is out of love of neighbor. It's because God loves the world and loves everyone in the world that all of his words are true and encouraging and nourishing. And so we should pray that God would help our words be the same. In the psalmist's day, people were harmed by words and lies. So in businesses that reject God's truth, there will be harm of neighbor. So Lord, please help us speak up at work. In families that reject God's truth, there will be harm of neighbor. Lord, help us speak up in our families. 
In school districts that reject God's truth, there will be harm of neighbor. In neighborhoods that reject God's truth, there will be harm of neighbor. But God is building his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so we plead with God to silence the lies and to shine his light on his truth for the good of our neighbor so that they might be saved from this vile and wicked world and even saved from the results of their own sin and their own lying. And importantly, we need to remember that when we have a prayer life like this, it's going to be a humble prayer life. When you pray this week about all the wickedness around you, remember that it's got to be a humble prayer life. Because the gospel tells us that we were liars too. The gospel tells us that we needed God's truth too. The gospel tells us that because we were liars and rebelled against God, it cost the Son of God's life to redeem us from that. And so gospel-shaped prayer saying, save us, O Lord, from this generation is humble. There will be no superiority in our voices. No disdain for sinners as if the sinners are over there and we're in another category. There will be no mockery of our enemies in our prayer life. No hate for those who are spiritually blind and lost. Rather, the gospel is God's compassion on us. So gospel-shaped prayer will be compassionate even for those we are praying for. Even as we want lying lips to be cut off, we want hearts of stone to be given new life, the new birth, salvation from God's wrath by God's holy word, his son, who has come to set liars free. Think about the future that we have in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, we sang about it, you know, 10,000 reasons and 10,000 years and forevermore. We're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth for millions of years, forever forward. And that new heavens and new earth is going to be a ragtag group of ex-liars who were saved by God's word, who used his word to save us from our words. We're going to be washed with the word of God and we will be as pure as God's word, not because we're pure, but because his word makes us pure. Like what it says in the Psalm 12, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. That's what God's word does for us. For all who call on his name for salvation, Lord, save us from our own words. Clean me up. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins with his word of forgiveness. And what? Purify us from all unrighteousness. That is God's word when he sees a world full of lies. So gospel prayer in an R-rated world is a bunch of things. It's humble. So may your prayers this week be humble. It's compassionate. So may your prayers this week be compassionate. It seeks justice. It proclaims God's word. It desires purity. And finally, gospel-shaped prayer is hopeful. Psalm 12 is so hopeful. Let me convince you. Let me go over verse 8 again. Look at verse 8 again. Because the psalmist prayed this prayer and then walked back out into the world of verse 8. Here's the world the psalmist is living in. Verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Okay, he prayed to God. He worshiped God. Lord, save us from this wicked generation. I know I'm going back to my house, my neighborhood, my workplace, my school, where vileness is exalted. But his hope, friends, was not in this world. 
He could walk out into a world that was full of vileness because his hope was not in this world. His hope was from another world where the truth came from and walked among us to set us free. So we can walk out into an R-rated world and we preach Christ crucified. The perfect, pure word of God, Jesus Christ, hung on a vile tree a tree of curse and condemnation. And he took every lie that's ever been uttered and it was nailed to the cross with him and he killed it. He defeated sin, Satan, and death so that our words, our vileness, our participation in this lying world could be a story of redemption. A sinner saved by grace. The word of God hung on a vile tree and paid for our vile sins so that his word might set us free. So gospel prayer has the cross of Christ as its foundation. And it's the most hopeful kind of prayer. We can cry like verse 1 says, Save, O Lord. And God's promise is in verse 7. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. That's what he's promised to do with his word. And he hasn't left us alone. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, to purify us, to speak to us and through us. And so our job is to receive continually that gift of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus promised in John 16, into a world of lies, Jesus said this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Friends, the spirit has come. God's truth will prevail. Lying lips will be cut off. Truth will set people free. There's great reason to hope, even in an R-rated world, because Christ is risen. The word has defeated death. The truth has set us free. So brothers and sisters in Christ, may God's word continue to deliver us for our good and his glory. Let me pray. Lord, we need your words. Thank you for your word. Help us feast on your word daily. Help us wake up each morning hungry for your words. Help us honestly confess how our words have been sinful, how we have lied to our neighbors, and how we have lied to ourselves. So redeem us from lying lips. And Lord, we live in a world full of the celebration of wickedness and evil. And we ask that you would save us from this generation, that you would spare us from too much harm as a result of those lies. But Father, we pray for those lying lips that they would be stopped in their tracks and not just stopped from lying. We pray for everyone who does not know you. Lord, today that they might see your face and hear your word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you might give them truth-telling lips, that you might turn their heart of stone into a heart of flesh and give them new life through Jesus Christ, and that they might be an ex-liar, now a truth-teller, so that they might not lie to neighbors anymore, but that they might tell their neighbors the good news of the word from you, your son Jesus Christ. Lord, save us from mockers, liars, deceivers, and thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that in the end, the lying lips will not have the last word. Your son's final words before he died was, it is finished. 
And he's defeated sin, Satan, and death for us. So may we go in great hope today into an R-rated world knowing that you have saved us. In Christ's name we thank you and pray. Amen.